risk in an effective way to communicate cybersecurity information outside of the technical groups that are responsible for it. And it's also important from all business areas to just have a general awareness of cybersecurity principles when they're developing their processes and, and executing them from a day-to-day perspective. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Dax Streeter, who is the Director of Cybersecurity at the Lower Colorado River Authority, commonly known here in Central Texas as LCRA. Dax, thanks for being here. How are you? I'm doing great, Peter. Thanks. Looking forward to the discussion today. Oh, me too. Thanks so much for being on the show. And our focus today is on developing an effective cybersecurity program. But before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your career background? Sure. I've been, I've been in the technology space for about 25 years. About half of that's been focused on cybersecurity. I, I cut my teeth, you could say, so to speak, in network operations, network engineering early on. So I spent a lot of time in network operations centers around the Austin area. I did some network engineering field work around the U.S., I got a degree in computer science from Texas State. Uh, before I started my career at LCRA, I managed the server infrastructure and network infrastructure at Texas Department of Safe, Public Safety for about three years and then moved to LCRA. Fantastic. That's a great background. Can you give us just a brief overview of LCRA and a synopsis of your role there? Absolutely. Yeah. I like, I like talking about LCRA. It's a very diverse and, and interesting place to work. So I'll tell you a bit about it. It's it's a quasi-state agency, which means that Illustrator's assets are owned by the state of Texas, and we fall under state policy and, and regulation. But unlike state agencies, we're not funded by tax dollars. So we kind of operate more like a nonprofit. The revenue that we make from selling power and, and use of our transmission system, we put back into the organization capital and, and operational expenses. And objectives from LCRA's perspective are to provide quality power, manage the lower Colorado River, provide a reliable water supply, and manage the public park systems and, and support community development. So my, my job title is Director of Cybersecurity Strategy and Operations. My team's broken up into three, three functions. The first is cyber operations. So you can think of those guys as the defenders of our technology systems. They're responsible for monitoring, analyzing, and detecting cyber activity on our networks and on our systems. And we have a, a toolkit of cyber tools that we, you know, that we also administer to allow us to do that. Things like antivirus, network intrusion detection systems, web security, all those tools. The second group is risk management. So what this team basically does is perform risk assessments for all of those various systems. Uh, environments. And then we work with the, the system owners, our customers, to once we have risks identified, to figure out together how we can how we can shore them up, how we can fix them. And then the third piece is architecture. So we focus on when new technology comes into the environment, uh, how we can implement it securely. So we work with project teams to configure those systems securely so they'll, they'll be functional and reliable, but at the same time meet our security standards. That's, that's basically our 
my team's role and, and how we fit into the bigger picture at, at LCRA. Thank you for that context. And I'd like to start with just a very basic question, which is, why is everyone talking about cybersecurity right now? You seem to hear it a lot in the news. Yes. Well, I think there's there's two two big factors there that's driving all that discussion and all that focus. The first one that I'll call out is geopolitical tensions. So offensive cybersecurity is a cheap and effective weapon for nations, nation states to, to utilize to promote their agendas. If you compare cyber capabilities to that of traditional military power, you can accomplish a lot of the same thing at a lot less effort and a lot less money. So countries like Russia, Iran, uh, North Korea, over the past 10 to 15 years have really built up their cyber capabilities, offensive cyber capabilities to build up their defense and offensive capabilities to do what traditionally you could only do with military force. And they've become formidable potential enemies to the U.S. and, and our allies. And the U.S. has done the same thing. Uh, we understand that you know we have to have a, a major cyber capability to to be in the world today and, and have built one up, one of the best worldwide ourselves. So it's there's a lot of focus on that from an international perspective and and a defense, a national defense perspective. I think the other is, is criminal activity. So same concept, high reward, low cost potential around cyber criminal activity. If a, if a criminal has built up their capabilities in the cyberspace, they have a, a relatively high success rate to, to obtain money or information with a low effort, and then there's a really low chance they're going to get caught, so very low attribution. So you put those together, that's, that's strong motivation for, for someone that's a criminal background or set to, to, to take advantage of. A great example of, of criminal activity, both on potential information theft and financial theft, is ransomware. And we've seen the propagation of ransomware come up worldwide over the years and then really ramp up the last the last two years. I'll, I'll talk about the colonial transport ransomware attack. If, if the group remembers here, um, that happened about May of this year. And that was a great example of how ransomware can have a major impact on a developed country's critical infrastructure. The attack ultimately resulted in Colonial having to shut down their pipeline for five days. And Colonial provides is the main artery for fuel transport to the Northeast from the Gulf. They move about 2.5 million gallons of fuel per day. So when that pipeline shut down, it caused major fuel shortages in the, in the American, American Northeast and caused some major price hikes. So when you take into, take into account impacts such as that related to cyber activity, it's gonna get a lot of people's attention and a, a lot of focus. So it's, you know, it's, it's something that's gonna continue as well, continue to escalate. Yeah, and I think if you layer on top of that, this whole move over the last, call it 25 to 50 years to a more of a just-in-time inventory for everything, Anytime you have an issue like this pop up, it has just an exponential impact downstream to everyone that could potentially be impacted by it. Whereas maybe years ago, something happened, yeah, wasn't that big of a deal for everybody else. You bet. You know, the, the just-in-time way that the economy works and supply chain structure, one ripple in that effect can cause uh, exponentially larger ripples and, and, and impacts down the line. And, you know, you, you can relate that back to most of those processes are are dependent and heavily reliant on technology. So it, it's just it's a interdependent, multi relationship type of scenario when you when you talk about how cybersecurity can impact 
day-to-day life and, and critical services that, that we all rely on. Yeah, without a doubt. And coming back to something you were alluding to earlier, if you think about physical security, it's pretty easy for the average person to see something and realize, oh, there's the weakest link. But when it comes to cyber type stuff, it's invisible. Like people can't see it. So then they don't see those weakest links and they proliferate. So with that in mind, why should cybersecurity be prioritized beyond just the IT team of an organization? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a, it's a great, great segue there. I, back to what I was saying earlier on, on uh, how business runs today. If you, if you look at the average business and processes within a, within a business, there, if it's not 100% reliant, there's, there's components of it that all of it that relies on technology. And, and then by virtue of that, if there's a technological component, there needs to be a cybersecurity component. Ensure that the technology is functional and reliable, and then ultimately that that business process that depends on it works. So that you know that there's a technological piece that brings in cybersecurity. The other piece is the is the human factor. The human factor is no less important than than technology around cybersecurity. If you think about most cyber attacks. There's, there's a social engineering component to, to any type of cyber attack. And social engineering in itself is built on exploiting human nature, you know, humans emotional or uh, creatures of habit can be exploited by an attacker to their, to their attacker's advantage. Phishing emails are a perfect example of, of social engineering and, and anyone that's been on a computer and has to interact with email has been exposed to a phishing email. So that's how common and prolific it is. So it's it's important to, to talk about it outside the technology teams. It's important to develop your business processes in a way that, that have uh, separation of duties in place to help protect against, you know, cyber attackers' attempts to, to exploit those, those human step-by-step habits that can result in you know, in, in fraud or, or theft. And you can also think about it from a risk, risk-based risk approach. Our team heavily focuses and one of our main objectives is to is to provide a, a risk-based cybersecurity service to, to LCRA. And risk in itself is, you know, it's, it's an attempt to translate technical, statistical information into business speak. And, you know, if, if, if a risk program is effective, and there's a there's a easy information flow both directions from the from the, the technical resources of an organization up to leadership, to leadership to make informed decisions, and then a, a cycle where that information is fed back to the technical teams to act, you know, implement those those decisions. So risk is a way to in a, an effective way and a necessary way to communicate cybersecurity information outside of the, the technical groups that that are responsible for it, and it's also important from all business areas to just have a general awareness of cybersecurity principles when they're developing their, their processes and, and executing them from a day-to-day perspective. Well, how specifically does LCRA prepare for and mitigate risks for cybersecurity incidents? So cybersecurity incident response is a it's another it's another aspect that needs to be needs to reach outside of the cybersecurity team. But LCRA, we we focus on that and, and try to be successful through development and maintenance of a plan. You have to have a cybersecurity incident response plan. That's step one. So we, we developed a plan. I've had, had it for in place for many years and we exercise it. We re- reference it monthly. So we look at our plan, make sure it's up to date, at least on a monthly basis. 
And at least multiple times a year, we have exercises where we test it. The plan is developed to identify specific phases of an incident response effort. And each of these phases have to occur in order for you to be successful. Um, detection, analysis, containment, eradication, recovery, lessons learned. You have to go through all those phases uh, when responding to an incident. Or if you miss one, you're you're gonna you're gonna be backtracking, gonna ultimately cost the organization more money and, and have you know longer downtime. So it's it's important to work through those those steps. Another key portion of the plan is identifying roles and responsibilities. So it's obvious that the cybersecurity department is the core team. You know, we're responsible for the, the technical analysis and, and defining where the attack occurred or it, where it spread and, and how to contain it. But in a major incident, there's other business areas that play just as important of a, of a role in, in the response effort. IT, our public safety group, communications, HR, finance, legal, all those teams play a key role, and we ensure that the, the different team members, representatives in those organizations are, are named in the plan, understand how to access the plan and what they're supposed to do. We, we talk about it frequently and we exercise it. There's also external organizations that we, that we have to communicate with in a major incident. Uh, the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, ERCOT, these are groups that, that we also have called out in the plan, how to contact them, what type of information we need to share with them timelines that are required. So all of these things are, are called out and, and well-known amongst the, the response team. I wanted to say that the reason that we prepare to this level is, is you cannot you cannot plan for the unknown. Um, there's there's only a portion of incident response that, that is known. And we have that documented and proceduralized. We know that we need to communicate with an organization. We know there's external parties that we have to uh, contact and share information with. So we, we plan that out in a detail detailed method and we we follow it to a T. And that that gives us more availability and frees us up, frees up our resources to focus on that, you know, that X factor that always occurs during an incident. That's what that's what stresses your resources, your your ability to respond. And you need to be able to provide as much focus on that as as possible to respond effectively. So practice what you know and plan for the unknown and that's that's how you'll be successful. Yeah, I think the saying, and and I'm probably not saying it right, but it's not the plan, it's the planning that's very valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what's the primary challenge that you and your team face in terms of incident response? Or I guess maybe another way to phrase it for folks out there, where do organizations seem to go wrong? Where are the, the weakest links? So communication is the, the biggest challenge to, to incident response. Everybody focuses, tends to focus initially on technical aspects. Right. So how, how do you identify where the attacker is? Where, where did the attacker come from? Uh, what is their objective? And what, what systems are they, have they access to? And what potentially can they access in the environment? Those are all the things that cybersecurity teams focus on initially. And that's very challenging and key. Uh, but because of that initial focus, typically teams are effective at it. What tends to get pushed to the wayside, but is probably more important is, is communication. The reason communication is challenging is there are many different organizations and audiences that need to be communicated to frequently and accurately, and that has to be done quickly. So if you, you throw in all those descriptors, it's it's a challenging a challenging task. I'll give some examples. During an incident, when we're required to update our leadership frequently, we have to share technical information within our within our team and with other team members that are responding in the different technical operational groups. 
at LCRA. We also have to communicate with our regulators and, and external organizations, our employees, and potentially state and local government. All these have different audience, they're different audiences and they have different messages that need, need to be sent. And a lot of it is coming from a, a small source. It's coming within the, you know, the core incident response team. So those requirements around communication make it a challenge, but it can be addressed. The best way to address it is, is through planning and preparation. So back to exercises and back to what's in that plan to define who's responsible for communication and who's going to reach out to these different stakeholders. They also need to understand the type of information that those audiences expect and need. So that, that sets the mindset for performing that communication. Uh, from a procedural pers perspective, early in an incident, there's very, there's very little information that's known. If you think back to, you know, from a cyber perspective and the technology that we need to communicate, uh, it's commonplace for attack, an attacker to target and then compromise communication systems as a, as a way of reconnaissance, right? So they'll go after email systems, they'll go after chat systems because they know that organizations use those for, for primary means of communication. They'll monitor them for the response steps that have been taken and then they'll and then they'll counter those response steps to, to maintain their objective. So it's important to have alternate means of communication. We call them out-of-band methods and use those when appropriate so you can still communicate effectively within the organization, but at the same time not unanticipatedly or unexpectedly expose critical information to the response effort. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that, but when you're in a physical military battle, one of the first objectives you have is to take out your enemy's communication, because if they can't communicate, they cannot mount a successful defense against you. It's really difficult. And to translate that into the cyber world, I think is incredibly important. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if, if you, I mean, if you think about initial, you know, a hypothetical incident, attacker would, would come in and, and potentially compromise some systems in the business environment. They're immediately going to look for key responders to the, to the incident. So they're going to look for leadership. They're going to look for cybersecurity team members, IT team members. They'll target them and then try to escalate and, and pivot into more systems to gain more access. And they'll go after, they'll go after email, they'll go after chat. They'll try to uh, obtain the contact information from those, from those targets. And then, just kind of uh, proliferate from there. And it's all about communication. They're, they're trying to get as much information as fast as possible once they've been discovered to, to maintain their objectives. And it seems like communication, it's, it's so vital, but people are, I would say, poor at doing it because like anything in life, everything's part science and part art. And with what you're talking about, the plan and the planning, that's the science part. The communication, you're communicating because things aren't necessarily going to plan. That's the art part, and people feel uncomfortable with that, so they tend to avoid it. So to your point, I think it's super critical to practice, practice, practice communicating, just so you get in the motion of knowing how to do it really well, so you can then adapt to things that aren't going right, and having all those backups and the depth that you mentioned. Yeah, and I'll add on to that, Peter. I think a natural benefit that comes out of exercising and practicing is normally you know, within the, within our core team, within the cybersecurity team, we, we work with each other day in and day out. Uh, within the, an incident response scenario, we may be working with team members elsewhere that we don't interact with very often, uh, that don't interact with us, and even more so for external organizations. You want to get past that lack of familiarity with an exercise. So the, so the relationships already built, 
but there's a level of trust that's established with these exercises. So back to your point, the communication flows naturally. You want it to flow naturally and, and happen organically right off the bat. Uh, so it's just like uh, another meeting that happens two weeks ago during an exercise versus, you know, an initial meet and greet, establish, try to establish a relationship and then go to work. You want to go to work immediately. Well, with the pandemic going on, and I think going forward as well, there's going to be a lot more employees working remotely. So how can organizations ensure that they're protecting their people and their data from cyber attacks? There's a lot of ways. Um, we we spent a lot of time obviously talking about that internally over the last couple of years. I think the first thing that we focus on is we we establish a concept of a cyber culture at LCRA. That's one of our goals. Anybody that's worked in the utility space or manufacturing anywhere where it's a it's a high risk environment understands the the importance that's laid on safety, right? So there's a huge huge emphasis on safety at LCRA and in the industry in general. The idea is to teach employees to have a safety mindset to approach every job or site with safety in mind to identify how the job can be done safely, identify hazards, think of mitigations with those in place before you even start. So we, we want to have that same concept for, for cybersecurity uh, when an employee approaches their day-to-day activities. Uh, to look at how you're interacting with your technology at home as well as at work and, and think, think about how it can be done securely. And then also keep the keep the cyber mindset in place when you're interacting with with people. There's that social engineering aspect that always comes into play. So if if we empower our employees with different basic cyber hygiene knowledge, um, they that's how you start establishing that cyber culture. So the concept of keeping your systems at home, uh, not just your your business systems, but your your home networking equipment, the personal the technology devices that connect to your home network. In many cases, that's the same network or at least the same connection that your business system is connected to. So it's important to keep that whole environment functional and, and secure and safe. Keep your keep your systems patched and up to date. Practice strong password management for your personal systems. Multi-factor authentication. It's been it's been documented multiple times. I think the first was probably three years ago, maybe four years ago. An advanced cyber campaign against American organizations was launched and targeted uh, executive leadership's home networks, right? Mm-hmm. So they, the attackers attackers compromised their home routers, established a foothold there, and then eventually were able to access into their business systems because they were connected at home. So it's it's nothing new, but it's it's been it's been escalated now because of the you know the high chance of success because there's so many people working remotely. So that's that's one way we approach it. And um, there's technological ways as well. So you you can focus on cloud-based technology that is not as dependent upon having your systems connected directly to the company network for for the cybersecurity protections to be in place. So we had some of those in place before the pandemic, and we're we're prioritizing adding more of those in place now. And then the concept of just focusing on protecting the data versus protecting the network or the the system that there was a traditional pr- approach for cybersecurity. If you put protections in place for your data. Your, your sensitive data, no matter where it is, then you're not as worried about having making sure every single system that has this, has the potential to access it is patched or are up to date. Well, ultimately, it comes down to people, I think, and they're the weakest link, unfortunately. And I really love your idea of focusing on 
security culture and mindset, because what that'll do is put people into this just general responsive feeling of my spidey senses are off. Something's not right here. I can't put my finger on it, but they're more likely to raise their hand and say, something's not right. Ask for help. Where in, uh, you know, the other approach is to give people a list of a hundred things they're supposed to do. Well, number one, they're not going to do all of them. And number two, they're not going to do anything beyond that list of a hundred. But if they just have that idea of mindset in this safety culture, they're more likely to just say, hey, something's not right here. And then let's get an expert on it. Absolutely. And we've, we've seen it work. We're, we're, we're seeing some success with that with that concept. You know, we, we started approaching it, employee awareness with that concept a few years ago. And we've seen a massive uh, mindset change and more productive outreach and an engagement from employees. Uh, they're, they're frequently contacting us now uh, for questions that on their home systems or things that they see that they're concerned about. And we're, you know, we look forward to those calls and, and, and ha- happy to have those engagements because it, again, it just re- reinforces that whole concept of keeping, keeping your systems, your awareness up for, for cybersecurity, no matter the, the technology that you're using, not just cell technology. Well, we do like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide the listeners with a practical tip or best practice that they can take back to their organizations. So with that in mind, what can our audience do today to strengthen their cybersecurity program? I like that question. I'll, I'll talk about a framework that's been available for several years and is really gaining a lot of ground a lot, of, a lot of technology companies, as well as just regular businesses, have, have taken a hold of it and, and, and had a great success. So the, the framework was developed by the National Institute Standards and Technology, or NIST, is the, is the organization. Framework is called the Cybersecurity Framework, or CSF. So the, the short name of it is the NIST CSF. It's, it's, really, it's really effective because it, it takes practical approach to cybersecurity, and it's very flexible. So it breaks down the, the whole concept of cybersecurity into five simple to understand functions, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. So, I mean, those are, those are easy practical terms to comprehend from a business standpoint. A lot of the functions that we, or uh, roles that we talked about in the discussion today are within those functions. So risk management. That's a, that's a portion of identify. You identify your, your risks, and then you make plans to, to, to shore them up. The protect and detect, that's what, the, that's what a cyber operations team does. They, they monitor, analyze, and identify issues within the environment. And then respond, that's, that's incident response, right? That's, that's, what, that's what an incident response capability is. So the, the framework is, is great because of its flexibility. It takes these five high-level functions and breaks them down into varying levels of details. It's set up, set up like a tree structure. It goes all the way from the top five functions all the way down to specific security controls that can be applied at a, to individual types of technology. There's around 300 of those controls. So you can see how you can work your way up and down the tree based on the level of detail that you need to work within, as well as the, the level of maturity that your organization's at. And if you need to communicate concepts at a broad, high uh, business level, you work your way back up the tree to those, those top-level functions. And it's, it's something that, that all parts of the organization can understand and build a, an effective program off of. I'd like to brag a bit. OCRA implemented that framework uh, around two and a half years ago, and we were just recognized by NIST as a success story for the, for the CSS. It's, it's something to 
to take pride in as there's only uh, 12 organizations or entities globally that have, that have achieved that recognition. So we're, we're proud of what we've been able to accomplish with it and they've had a lot of luck building up a security program using the, the CSF. Well, that's fantastic advice and congratulations on that. And thank you so much for being on the show today. I, I really appreciate all your time, expertise and advice. Thank you very much, Peter. I enjoyed the discussion. If anyone out there listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn, so you can search up my name, Dax Streeter, LinkedIn. I'm, I think I'm the only one on LinkedIn with that name, so it's it'll uh, it'll pop up. <laughs> and my email is also available. It's a simple uh, LCRA address, dax.streeter at lcra.org, and that's a good way to reach out to me as well. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks again for taking the time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast today. And for the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.